This is episode 95 of Beyond the Bulletin, published on July 16th, 2021. Hello and welcome to episode 95 of Beyond the Bulletin. From the University of Waterloo, I'm Brandon Sweet, editor of The Daily Bulletin. And for Media Relations, I'm Pamela Smythe. On this podcast, we go beyond the pages and pixels of The Daily Bulletin to inform you about important news and views from our community. This week, Jeffrey Wren, a student in the School of Planning, discusses the net zero energy home he and his student design teammates built in a First Nations community. New episodes of the podcast come out every week, and you can find our archives of past shows and helpful links on soundcloud.com. Please recommend us to your colleagues and connections at Waterloo. Thank you for joining us as we go Beyond the Bulletin. I am getting super excited about these quiz questions we're going to be asking people for the $100 gift card that we're going to be giving away on our 100th episode. Well, folks, it better start to listen to our deep archive of episodes yeah. to gain a just a background level of knowledge of trivia knowledge about the podcast and and uh where we've come over the last you know two years yeah. there's a lot at stake folks 100 smackaroonies 100 simoleons <laughs> so here's what's been happening Health Services is now home to a vaccine center for students, employees, and their family members who are over the age of 18. The vaccine center will distribute Moderna, an mRNA vaccine that requires two doses 28 days apart. The hours are Monday to Friday, 9 to noon. You must book an appointment in advance to get to the vaccine center, and in order to attend the center for vaccination, you have to be free of COVID-19 symptoms and have completed the daily campus check-in. Please call 519-888-4096 to book your appointment. We'll put the link to the vaccine center website in our episode show notes on SoundCloud. In the meantime, thank you, Science, and thank you, Dolly Barton. (laughs) Step two, we hardly knew ye. Because Waterloo Region is joining the rest of the province and moving into Step 3 of Ontario's reopening framework as of Friday, July 16th. We only entered Step 2 on July 12th. And what a short, strange trip it's been, because here's what Step 3 means for the university. We're continuing to resume in-person course activities scheduled for spring term. You can find a list of undergraduate and graduate courses happening in person on the COVID-19 website. Class sizes and safety procedures, such as wearing a mask and physical distancing, will stay in effect for the remainder of the spring term. If your departmental COVID-19 safety plan or course schedule requires you to work on campus, you can now start or resume permitted activities with the approval of your supervisor. You must continue to follow the instructions for work laid out in your departmental safety plan. In terms of buildings and operations, the Student Life Center and Turnkey Desk are open Monday to Friday, excluding holidays, from 7.30 a.m. to 7 p.m., Limited study and dining spaces are available in the Great Hall. However, you must present a valid Watt card to use the space, and there's a limit of one person per table only. The former bomber patio is also open for use Monday to Friday, 8.30 to 4, with seating of one person per table. Athletics and Recreation will be reopening Columbia Icefield for open recreation, fitness classes, and fitness center usage as of Monday, July 19th. The Pack Pool will open during the week of July 19th for lane swims. You must register in advance for all programs. W Store Gifts and Apparel is open for in-person shopping Monday to Friday, 12.30 p.m. to 4 p.m. W Store Course Materials and Supplies will reopen for in-person shopping in mid-August. 
Print and retail solutions will continue to facilitate textbook and course material ordering and offer shipping or curbside pickup options. WPrint will be operating online only until further notice. And all library locations are closed except for book pickup and delivery services. The Davis Center Library is open for study space only Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. by appointment. Well, everyone, we appreciate your efforts in continuing to keep our campus community safe. We'll put the link to the Provincial Reopening Framework into our episode show notes on SoundCloud. Now, here's what's coming up. A project to update COVID-19 signage across campus is underway as part of the preparations for an expanded return to campus in September. The Safety Office, Plant Operations, Central Stores, the Registrar's Office, and the Space Planning Office, kind of like a Space Force, have been collaborating on a new signage and messaging uh, rollout for main building entrances, classrooms, common areas, washrooms, elevators, study spaces, basically any place where you might find yourselves interacting with others on campus. Plant Operations has been removing old posters and signs, and fresh signage will go up beginning July 19th. It will take several weeks. Signage on main building entrances will remain in place to communicate entrance requirements and will be updated in August. In the meantime, employees and students should continue to follow physical distancing requirements and complete their daily self-assessment on campus check-in. Information Systems and Technology, or IST, has announced that the N-Drive's days are numbered on campus. The N-Drive is the longtime individual user network drive, and this service will no longer be offered after April 2023. OneDrive will replace the N-Drive as the centrally supported user file storage tool. I don't think I ever used it. I think I did, but a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So if this is happening April 2023, why are we telling you this now? Well, in preparation for this change, users in academic support units who have IST-managed Windows machines will be migrating from the N drive to OneDrive during the spring 2021 term as part of the overall migrating N drives to OneDrive project. Academic support unit migrations are expected to be complete by mid-September 2021. I think I fell asleep again. Participating faculties ready to begin N drive to OneDrive migrations can contact IST for assistance. We'll put the project and contact links in our episode show notes. You know, you scoff, Pamela, but this was one of the highest rated stories in the Daily Bulletin last week. <laughs> People care about storage solutions. Maybe it was I a recently... winning headline. Was it a winning headline, maybe? Yeah, I think I think maybe it was. It was kind of clickbaity. Uh, if I do say so myself, you? <laughs> as the as as the author said, headline. Finally, students and employees are being reminded this week to participate in Waterloo's Equity Survey. It is gathering data as part of the university's commitment to support its equity goals. The survey launched to the internal community in mid-June. By taking part in the survey, you will help the university identify equity gaps in programs, services, and policies to better meet the needs of underrepresented and equity-deserving students, faculty, and staff. The survey is completely voluntary. If you have not yet completed the survey, you will have received a unique link this week. So check your inbox for the message. You have complete control over how much information you choose to share and are free to add or remove information when invited to complete survey updates. The equity data will not include any personally identifying information. It will only appear in summary reports. If you have any questions, check out the frequently asked questions that HREI has put on their website. We'll put the link in our episode show notes on SoundCloud. And now the interview. 
The Warrior Home Team, based in the Cedra Student Design Center, partnered with Habitat for Humanity to build a home in Neashinigmaying, a First Nations community in the Bruce Peninsula. Being a net-zero home, the house generates as much energy as it consumes, and its design won the students an award from the U.S. Department of Energy. But as Jeffrey Wren tells us, there's even more that makes the project special. Jeffrey, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Pamela. Thank you so much for having me on your program. So what's a net zero energy house? So a net zero energy house uh, is just a house that's able to produce all or most of the energy that it's uh, using on an everyday basis. So um, some houses are able to do that through uh, solar panels. Other houses use uh, geothermal energy. Renewable energy sources can be used to sort of uh, power all of the electrical needs of a house. And uh, if it's able to do that, it's net zero. So, but certain things like solar panels, are those that great for where we live? Because it's really cloudy in the wintertime. Um, that's a really great point, Pamela. So our house that we built uh, is able to do this thing called net metering. So it's not an off-grid house. Um, it's connected to the electrical grid. And what it does is it uh, produces energy, and that all of that energy that it produces goes into the uh, electrical grid. So it goes into the grid, and um, the energy that it the home uses comes from the grid. So it's it's very similar to a, a normal house uh, that doesn't produce any any energy, but uh, because it does produce energy, uh, the homeowner gets a credit and. Overall, the net effect is that uh, it's able to produce almost all the energy or all of the energy because it is a net zero, has all the energy that it uses over the course of a year. And at the same time, it's still able to provide really reliable and really quite a normal experience for the homeowners. Wow. Well, that's good. So you built this home on the Ming Reserve with members of the Chippewa Nawash community and Habitat for Humanity, Gray Bruce. So how did this particular project for them come about? So our partnership with the Chippewa Nawash and Habitat for Humanity, Gray Bruce, came about through uh, a pre-existing partnership with Habitat for Humanity. We partnered with them for a previous project, and we approached them at the beginning of this project to look for uh, another community that was interested in a net zero energy build. And Habitat for Humanity Canada was able to sort of connect us with uh, the Chippewas of Nawash. We, as a design team, started back in uh, at the end of 2016, beginning of 2017. And for our first project, we did a design challenge. And we did that with Habitat for Humanity Waterloo Region. So we designed uh, a net zero energy concept townhouse. It wasn't actually built, but we, we did uh, a design for them, and we entered that into a contest with the U.S. Department of Energy. At that time, the contest was called the Race to Zero Contest. But that's since been rebranded to the Solar Decathlon uh, Design Challenge. Okay. Yeah. And then after that, we entered into what was supposed to be the uh, 2018 to 2020 Solar Decathlon Build Challenge. So that challenge was building a net zero energy house. And that's what we did with the Chippewas of Nawash and Habitat for Humanity, Great Bruce. And then 
for the 2021 Solo Decathlon Design Challenge, we also entered another uh, design, this time with uh, Ottawa Community Housing, uh, a block of stacked townhomes that were net zero energy. We did sort of two projects together for 2021 because the uh, pandemic had pushed the build challenge back one year. So that's what had happened. Wow. Warrior Homes is a student design team. I have not seen this design team. I have seen, you know, we see the solar car, for instance. So how long have you been with the student design team? Uh, so I've been with the student design team since I was in first year, and now I'm in fourth year and leading the design team. So it's been a, a bit of a journey for me on this design team. A lot of the other design teams, you know, we have some some amazing design teams with the Center Design Center, things like the the Waterloop team or the mm-hmm. as you mentioned the Solar Car team. They're, they've they've all gotten a lot of really well deserved attention for their incredible projects. I, I guess it's true that sometimes our our housing project seems almost less exciting somehow than their projects. Um, but it is <laughs> no, not all, right? It's not. We were able to provide a house for a family in need, and that's incredible. It's very incredible. I want to hear more about this. So you built this house. You, well, you were building this house. It took a little while to build this house. It actually got completed in December of 2019. Habitat Humanity had uh, their pre-existing sort of partnership with the Chippewas of Nawash to build 19 homes. They're building a new subdivision for the Chippewa and Wash Band Council's affordable rent-to-own housing program. So we were able to redesign one of those 19 houses to be net zero energy. What made this house net zero energy? What did you put in it? There's a, a very large solar panel array on the roof. And there are also a number of other features of the house that uh, help make it net zero. So the energy sort of generation part of it is is one part of the equation for a net zero energy house. Um, there's also a big part of the equation in uh, making sure that the house is as efficient as possible. So our house was able to incorporate a number of different features, such as uh, advanced framing, which allowed for more insulation, uh, as well as just generally extra insulation all around the, the building envelope, in the roof, in the walls. There's just a lot of extra insulation compared to an ordinary house, and that keeps it uh, mm-hmm. uh, very warm and airtight and cozy inside, and it doesn't require as much energy and, and power to, to heat up the house. We were also able to incorporate electrical systems for all of our heating and our, our water heaters and, and heating systems. All of that is all electrical, which is uh, different compared to some of the, some ordinary houses which use gas and things like that. So that's also uh, another right. benefit being uh, on the reserve. There are some difficulties with getting gas with all of our electrical systems in place. Uh, it, it's really... Just a very green design overall. Wow. We added in a smart home monitoring system uh, to allow the homeowner to really make sure that the house is really working in the way that she wants it to work uh, and that it's not sort of, you know, um, heating things up when it, when it it's not necessary and things like that. So uh, incorporating that system and, and 
making sure that uh, the homeowner really knew and understood how it worked was also a big part of making sure that our house was as uh, environmentally friendly as possible. Now, how much does this did this house cost to build? So the house in overall was approximately $240,000, and mm-hmm. the solar upgrades were a little bit more than $30,000. Some of the other houses, or most of the other houses, I would say, uh, in that 19-house community are a little bit less expensive than our house, but... Uh, what was really great was that we were able to cover those, the majority of those upgrades through this uh, prize uh, award that we were given uh, by the Solar Decathlon organizers. So we received 25000 U.S. dollars, and we were able to donate that to the build, and that went into all of those uh, net zero upgrades. You donated your prize? Yeah. <laughs> we donated $25,000 just 25,000 US dollars to the build to make it net zero. That's so generous. <laughs> well, um, we thought that, that uh, as, as a team, you know, our, 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 it was obviously a, a team sort of decision. And as a team, we thought that was the, the best use of that prize money was obviously to put it towards our build. I, I don't think there, there was any thought. Amazing. Uh, otherwise. So did you receive any compensation or payment at all for the project? Uh, no, no compensation or payment at all. We just received, I guess, bragging rights for uh, winning second place later on. That's all. We were able to uh, present our, our uh, design our, and our build at uh, the Solar Decathlon Build Challenge event. And so that was uh, a weekend where... Uh, we were sort of evaluated and judged on 10 different aspects of the home, hence decathlon. Um, and we competed against eight other teams a- in the competition, and we-, we won second. Fantastic. Okay, so you had built the house, and then they judged the house because it was mm-hmm. a build competition. And so then you won the comp. That's why it came so far after yeah. the build, right? There were two aspects of the judging. There was an in-person aspect of the judging. They arranged for uh, people who evaluate homes and, and evaluate the energy efficiency and, and air tightness of homes and things like that to come and do actual mm. physical tests um, in the home. Um, and we were able to accommodate that because we finished our, our build in December of 2019. So at that time, there wasn't a a global pandemic going on. So they were fortunately able to do that. And we were fortunate enough to be able to have our house finished at that point uh, for testing. So they were able to do that in-person testing in 2019. And then uh, the less tangible sort of uh, competition aspects were through presentations virtually on Zoom. And we presented to six different juries. So there were roughly three competitions that were were measured contests, uh, which they had done through the testing, and six which were these uh, presentation sort of evaluated contests. 
So what was it like working with Habitat for Humanity and the um, Chippewa of Nawash community? We really got to gain a lot of insight into how this unique and wonderful community uh, worked and, and we were able to look into their needs and their their goals for the homes and we were able to work with the homeowner as well and we also really benefited from just the amazing expertise of, of Habitat for Humanity, Gray Bruce and uh, the Chippewas of Nawash Band Council uh, who were able to guide us uh, through a lot of the different aspects of designing a house. Um, they were able to help us determine oh. sort of what kinds of design considerations we, we should take into account for our, our home. And then having Habitat mm-hmm. for Humanity build the house with us, that was also a, a, a huge benefit for us as well. I, I can't imagine what it was like for this band council to see these students come in who have designed this house. Did they sort of like raise an eyebrow and think students were having students design our house? <laughs> Little did they know who these students are. They were incredibly welcoming. And we as a team were able to go and do a number of build days um, after we had sort of put in our design and we were oh. actually able to go and, and build uh, the home ourselves as well. So that was a really, really incredible experience. We got oh. to interact with the uh, band council and the chief and the family through those experiences. And they were incredibly welcoming. Um, I remember for, for the build days that I went, the, the chief came and, and uh, talked to all of us and told us about how wonderful it was that we were taking this project on. And it, it was just a wonderful learning experience for, for our team. Was there any skills that you developed? Yeah, of course. I, I, I mean, I'm personally a planner, so I have limited skills in house building. <laughs> so I, for, for the build days that I went, I was able to look at framing and, and things like that. Uh, siding gets installed. So a number of exciting uh, house building skills that uh, members of the team were able to learn <laughs> through this experience as well. That's great because also, though, I know from talking to other student design teams that, you know, students graduate, they come and go because they've got co-op or whatever. Did you find that as well? Was there a revolving door of people going through the project? Yeah, I I would say that generally our our team is, uh, I don't know if the the right word is loyal, but people stuck around. People were dependable and stuck around for the most part. So that was really great. Like for me, for example, I was able to to see the ex- entire sort of experience through. But obviously, in a close to three-year project with a, that extra one-year delay with COVID, it's obviously not possible for a lot of students to be able to have that opportunity to see the entire project through. Actually, at the competition event, we were able to also invite back some of our alumni uh, to come and participate as well. So they had that opportunity to see it through to the end, too, uh, which was really great. I I bet they appreciated that. And so they get Mm -hmm. to share in the bragging rights as well. This was a special house for another reason, because this home is for a family and one of the children has special needs. So could you talk a little bit, please, about what sort of changes you made to the design to accommodate? 
one of the really amazing things about our partnership was that we were able to work with uh, an actual family. So during the course of our, our design, the house was assigned to one family. So we were able to actually work with that particular family, that particular family, which was uh, going to go and uh, take part in that rent to own program and become the homeowners of this house eventually. Uh, So it was really, really fantastic to be able to do that because we were able to really go and dig deep into all of their specific needs and wants. We as a general concept, consider things like intergenerational housing and, and sort of having grandparents in the house as well, uh, which is something that the community had indicated to us was, was something that they were looking for. Um, but also specifically with our family, we were able to incorporate different aspects specifically for that uh, family, which was a single mother of four, and one of the children had uh, special needs. And one of the the aspects of that was uh, a visual impairment. So we were able to incorporate a number of design features into our house that accommodated those specific needs. Uh, and those design features included uh, wall-mounted railings, so someone who is visually impaired would be able to navigate their home easier. And we also incorporated a lot of extra lighting. And uh, we also incorporated extra wide doorways to accommodate uh, any mobility needs that might arise in the future as well. They've been living in their home for an, an entire year since it, more than an entire year now, I guess. They've been enjoying the house. Solar energy has become a lot more affordable and accessible for everyone. And it's really very possible even for affordable housing to incorporate uh, net zero energy design principles and solar energy uh, in their design as well. So you're a planning student. How does what you're doing with this design team dovetail with your work in planning? Really, all of the different projects that we've been able to do at uh, Warrior Home have all been focused on affordable housing. And that's uh, a big aspect uh, planning policy and, and planning decisions that really interests me personally. I'm really interested in affordable housing. I've uh, taken uh, affordable housing courses. We've got wonderful affordable housing experts at our school in the School of Planning. It was really great that we were able to look at sustainable and affordable housing. And I'm by no means an expert at all in any of the more technical aspects of sort of designing and and building uh, the the actual net zero energy house itself. I'm not an engineer, but we've got wonderful engineers on the team, uh, wonderful engineering students, quite a a good architecture contingent as well. And that's actually been a benefit of the pandemic. (laughs) When they were out there in uh, Cambridge, um, they weren't able to sort of attend our meetings or anything like that. But now that everything is on Microsoft Teams, we've Mm. actually been able to engage with uh, quite a few architecture students. It's sort of a, I don't want to say no brainer, because it's definitely a brainer. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you definitely want architecture students in this, I think. Now we're hoping to... Uh, do a more local project, uh, hopefully a build project here in Waterloo Region uh, with Waterloo Region Housing. 
And we're hoping that we're eventually going to be able to build uh, a net zero energy home here in Waterloo Region. Mm, cool. So we're really excited about that. So what would you like to say to any students who are listening who aren't on a student design team? You get to work with people from different professions and, and different programs at the university. And I, I think that that's been really helpful for me because, you know, in the real world, we will have to work in multidisciplinary teams and work with people from different professions. And uh, I, I think that if you, you're able to get that head start and try it out in a design team, then it's a, a, a wonderful, wonderful learning experience. Well, I wish you all the best, Jeffrey. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Pamela. Well, that about wraps it up for us this week. To ensure you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to the Beyond the Bulletin podcast wherever you get your podcasts and recommend us to your colleagues and Waterloo alumni. Stay safe, everyone, and do your part to stop the spread of COVID-19 in our community. You can get in touch with us via email at bulletin at uwaterloo.ca. As always, thanks for listening as we went Beyond the Bulletin. The steps, the stages, the phases, we don't know anymore. These phases, this phase stuff, I'm just, it's so confusing. Places to just open the door, you throw your money in, they throw whatever you're buying out at you. (laughs) That's the new model. Set phases to stun.